The views and opinions of the EDGE podcast do not necessarily represent those of Education USA, U.S. Department of State, or the U.S. government. Tashkent, Uzbekistan's capital. This city of stone, home to nearly 3 million people, is the most populous city in Central Asia. And like its sister cities of Samarkand, Bukhara, Kiva, it enjoys a seat in history as one of the storied cities along the famous Silk Roads. In 2023, it will also be home to Education USA's next regional forum in South and Central Asia, October 18th to the 20th at the Intercontinental Tashkent. So in today's episode of The Edge, I am very excited to introduce our special guests who will be talking more about a deep dive into the region, and in particular, our host country, Uzbekistan. A very warm welcome to our React Karen Bauer. Karen's React portfolio covers South and Central Asia, the Middle East and North Africa, and Karen, I believe you're also moonlighting in the Europe and Eurasia regions these days. Thank you. It's so great to be here. We are really excited to tell everyone more about the SCA Regional Forum as we head to Central Asia for the very first time. Well, Karen, these days it seems like you're pretty much everywhere, and we really appreciate you being able to join our chat today. Also with us is our fantastic advisor in Tashkent, Uzbekistan, Jamila Nasri Denova, who I am literally keeping up at nights because it's what, like midnight, 1am where you are right now, Jamila, I'm so sorry about that, but I am very happy you can join us. Thank you, Noel. We are excited to have the education fair in Uzbekistan, in Tashkent. So tell me, ladies, a lot of people may know about our annual conference that we do in Washington, D.C., but they may not be as familiar with the regional forums that we do every year in the six world regions. So for our higher education institution representative listeners, or HEIs, as we like to call them, what would you say is so special about these regional forums and really sets them apart from our annual conference in Washington? One of the best aspects of the regional forum is the opportunity to meet us where we're at, to come to the region, to meet our advisors face-to-face, to meet students, but also to get the cultural flair as well as really understanding the educational systems of the countries that make up our region. We are so diverse and really coming all together is an opportunity for an HEI to revisit a place that they've been recruiting in for a number of years. And then also, I think it's an opportunity for colleges and universities that really have never maybe taken a look at Central Asia or South Asia and go, how do I get my foot in the door? What do I need to know? And how do I meet the people on the ground that can help me really meet with students and share more about my university or college and um, getting students to come to the United States and their university campuses? Now, South and Central Asia is no small region here that you ladies cover. Can you tell me maybe some of the things that make the region particularly unique when recruiting there? Yeah, I almost kind of like to see it as one region, but with two very different distinctions between Central Asia, which would cover the, as we often refer to them, the stands. So that would be Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, 
Turkmenistan and Tajikistan. These are really countries that are along the former Silk Road and also a part of the One Belt, One Road initiative. And many universities haven't really been to this part of the world um, or don't know much about these countries, but really they really um, have a lot in common in the sense that they were often former Soviet republics. And so there is a connection there to that part of their history as well. So it is a place that's very, very rich and diverse. So there's that part of South and Central Asia. And then the other part is India, Bangladesh, Nepal, Sri Lanka, and then of course, Bhutan and the Maldives. And that kind of also has a lot of culture and similarities, languages that cross over, sometimes um, crossing over even between ethnicity and religion. And so it's almost like two different regions in one big region with different distinctions between them. Thank you, Karen. And so obviously there's a lot that I know I don't know about the region, but are there other things that you would say maybe that higher ed institutions may not know about the region that they should be aware of before visiting and recruiting either in Uzbekistan or in any of the countries? I would say just generally, our students are so excited about studying in the United States, particularly in Central Asia, where we have very, very strong cohort groups students in high school who meet with our Education USA advisors, sometimes work with us for a number of years to help prepare to come to the U.S. These are these cohort groups really act almost like a student's high school counselor, and um, they come into our centers, and we really help them along the process. They are so enthusiastic. They do things outside of the classroom with Education USA, like book club groups, drama classes, speech groups like Toastmasters, they're always looking at ways of preparing for study in the United States. And I really have seen over the years that our cohort groups are so strong. And in Uzbekistan, we recently have started the cohort advising process, which I know Jamila can share a little bit more about. Yes, I would add that uh, students are very motivated. They are eager to study and apply to universities. And they're also thinking about top universities in the US, but we explain them the variety of options available in the United States. And uh, we started the cohort advising. Uh, it's actually the virtual advising. And last year, and we have success stories. Students are now in the US studying and, and the majority are taking the undergraduate level a degree, they're applying to liberal arts colleges and huge state universities. And then uh, we also have uh, the opportunity uh, for students to apply to a governmental scholarship available in Uzbekistan. And they're using this a lot. And the government is also supporting uh, the international education. And they're doing a lot of stuff in this area and providing more opportunities for students. And in general, uh, they're supporting the internationalization of the education. We've also seen a wild growth with community colleges. There is a growing interest uh, to know more about community colleges and what those opportunities might be. Um, particularly in some of our smaller countries. Uh, Turkmenistan is one that comes to mind uh, where our students are very savvy on the two plus two model. And in our cohort advising groups, 
Um, I'll never forget the time that I was in Mary Turkmenistan and was visiting our center and our advisors were giving, excuse me, our students were giving presentations on why they had chosen a specific community college in Wyoming and then presenting that to their fellow students who were a year behind them. They really get that two plus two model. They are looking for value. They're looking for a sense of community. And they're also looking at universities that might be off the beaten path from some, for some other students. Like we know historically that international students, when we look at the Open Doors numbers, are looking at coastal cities. They're looking at the West Coast, the East Coast, sometimes places in, in Ohio or Texas. But really with some of our other countries, they're looking at places like Wyoming and Utah, where they're seeking out communities that are very um, similar to their own in places where they know that they are going to thrive and also where it might be more feasibly financial to live in those cities. Um, so I would definitely say that it really is a breadth of universities and colleges that our students are attracted to in the SCA region. I also would like to mention Pakistan, because right now, as we're recording this session, we have a group of 20 universities in Pakistan traveling with Education USA, visiting Islamabad, Karachi, and Lahore. And that has been a tour that's been going on for a number of years. This is the first year that we've brought back the in-person with Pakistan. And we have such, such a great group on the ground that is really introducing our higher ed community to high school counselors, to students who have interests across the country. So in addition to in-person, we do also have online opportunities as well, but we're really excited to be back in person. And the SCA Regional Forum in Uzbekistan is going to carry that forward in October. It sounds like there's such a wealth of recruitment opportunities here in the region based upon what you ladies just said. That's fabulous. So it's more than just coming to this regional forum in Uzbekistan. I mean, there's so many opportunities to travel once you're there, it sounds like, and to meet students who are, as you said, Karen, interested beyond maybe some of the more well-known names along the coasts or some of the big state schools, which which is a change, right? It's very different than the story that we often hear in various regions. Why do you think that is? Is it just that one student went and came back and passed on the good news? Or was it due to partnerships with the Ministry of Education and U.S. institutions? Like, why, why is South and Central Asia different that way? Well, it's everything that you mentioned. I think we could tie an example to that. But some of the examples that I can think of in Kyrgyzstan, we had one student who got a scholarship to attend our Education USA Academy program in person at Colorado State in Boulder. And the student was just absolutely she was a cohort advising student. And when she went in person to Colorado, she was communicating with her fellow classmates back in Kyrgyzstan and sharing daily updates of what her experience like was in the United States. It was fabulous. I mean, we can sit and we can talk about our colleges and universities. Advisors can do it. HEIs can do it. 
But we know that it's students talking to each other and sharing those experiences that go far. So we have multiple examples of cases like that. If you want to explain quickly what the Academy program is, because all of our listeners may not actually be aware of what the Education USA Academy is. And that's interesting that your example gives testimony to the pipelines that that can build. For those of you who might not know about the Education USA Academy, I'll explain a little bit more. This is the opportunity for high school students uh, between the ages of 15 to 17, in some cases 18, to come to the United States often over the summer months and actually live on a U.S. university campus and live with a group of students to explore more about what it is to study on our campuses. So they'll take classes sometimes on a specific focus. Uh, for example, at Diablo Valley Community College, the focus was English language study. And in that particular case, because Diablo Valley is a community college, the students would have a homestay. In other places like Emory-Riddle, students obviously would focus on aviation and they would particularly look at that specific field. In other places, they're looking at STEM fields and they're sometimes getting college credit. It really is an opportunity to have a taste of what it's like on a U.S. university campus. And so these institutions partner with Education USA to really put forward a quality program so that they can better understand what it's like being on campus and also meet other students around the world. It's a cultural experience as well. Many of the universities take students to uh, baseball games. They'll take them to national parks. They'll also visit industries. I know in the San Francisco Bay Area, at times they've visited the headquarters of Twitter or Facebook. So there really, there really is a range of things that students can do. During the pandemic, we shifted and went online. And now this year, we're doing a bit of both because we don't want to let the online go. Um, and But we also want to be in person. So it really is good for universities to know that when they get an Education USA student who has been on one of these programs, actually what opportunities they've been presented with. And in Uzbekistan, it's been highly popular. Jamila can tell us a little bit more about what has happened on the ground in the country. Thank you, Karen. Yes, this is a great opportunity for students, uh, high school students, to get a taste of the U.S. University uh, campus and uh, how uh, to work with professors, meet with other international students. And sometimes U.S. embassies, they can, they can sponsor and give scholarship for students in particular countries. So, for example, in Uzbekistan, back in 2018, we started offering this scholarship and we sent two students, the first students uh, to this program during summer. And they attended uh, the Syracuse University and Diablo Valley College. They were so excited. One of the students came back. He got a scholarship at one of the international schools here in Uzbekistan. But now he is studying in the United States doing his bachelor's degree. So we did this for the second year in 2019. And we sent another five students, uh, sponsored them. So and since the pandemic, when the program went online, uh, the embassy decided to uh, sponsor um, another 30. So now we have like about 90 students, alumni of this program, and they are here in Uzbekistan. Some of them applied to universities in US. So this is a very uh, great chance for them to be on campus to get a taste and then 
apply to universities and spread the word about the Education USA Academy. And we are planning to have another cohort this year, hopefully. Well, I'd, t- I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the students that we're reaching in Kazakhstan that we haven't reached before. You know, if you look at the map of Kazakhstan, it's huge. It's a very, very big country. And we have four advising centers across the country. And when COVID hit and we turned online, we were able to reach students across Kazakhstan that we had never had the opportunity to gauge with in person. And our advisors doubled down and they really gave just quality programming across the board. And because of that, we are reaching students outside of the capital cities. And we've been able to remain engaged with those students. So it really is a testament to our online presence as to who we're able to reach and who we're able to help. And we're very proud of that. We're also reaching students at younger ages. Um, Before, we were working mostly with junior and senior students, and now we're working with actually ninth and 10th graders who know about Education USA. We want to work with us earlier on, and so I think it's good for universities to know that the engagement is starting much younger for a lot of our students across Central Asia. In addition to that, we're really trying to grow the college counseling professional field. We put together in Kyrgyzstan a series of massive open online courses, and we did one for high school counselors, as well as for undergraduate students and graduate students, where students can take part in these MOOC programs and really gain the professional development that they need. Um, immediately and then follow up with our advisors. So we're growing the field. We're trying to get them to conferences in the United States and know that there are really strong schools and high school counselors and teachers that really want to meet you, that want to know about your universities and your colleges so that they can help their students prepare their applications to U.S. institutions. It really sounds like this region is fast becoming the model for the rest of the globe about where we would, as Education USA team members, would like to see recruiting going, which is making students and their parents aware of the opportunities for higher education in the United States at a much, much younger age. And it seems like you're quickly achieving that within this region. That's excellent to hear. You mentioned the MOOCs and the counselor trainings. Are there opportunities for our HEI listeners to help the cause and partner to support all the changes that you're seeing happen within this region? Yeah, I would say come. (laughs) I mean, come for the SCA form, but also continue coming back. We started an in-person tour for colleges and universities, and We started in Kyrgyzstan, and then we extended to Uzbekistan. We also have been able to have tours over the years in Kazakhstan and also um, are looking at Tajikistan and Turkmenistan. Please come meet our students and meet the schools and meet the school officials as well. 
we know that it takes a while to build your branding. And so uh, come back. And I've got to tell you, just on a personal note, most people know that my expertise has been in the Middle East for many years. And when I started covering Central Asia about you know five years ago, I really didn't know much about the region. And I have grown to love the people, the food, the sites, the history there is so rich. Going to SummerCon and seeing you know, just this beautiful route, the silk route that we all know and have studied about in person and up close is like no other place around the world. So we're looking forward to sharing not only our students, but a bit of culture from this region as well. And we really hope that, you know, you come to Uzbekistan, but you continue to go on to some of our other countries. I want to pass it off to Jamila because there's been a lot of development in Uzbekistan in the past few years. We've opened up two new centers. We're looking to open up more centers. And there's also a lot of development around English language training and the country of Uzbekistan wanting to establish more partnerships. Um, currently, Webster University is in Tashkent, but there is a growing want and need to have more partnerships. So I'm going to turn it over to Jamila to tell us a little bit more about what's been happening, particularly in Uzbekistan. Take it away, Jamila. Thank you, Karen. Yes, uh, there are a lot of developments uh, in education sphere as well. And as I mentioned, the government encouraged universities to establish partnership uh, with universities abroad. And we have a lot of going on here in Uzbekistan. Recently, we just visited the University of uh, Law and they mentioned that they have the connection and the partnership with um, uh, Penn State University, and they uh, were sending students from Uzbekistan to uh, that school in U.S., and uh, they started with 10 students last summer, and they're increasing this program. Another example is the University of Transportation here in Uzbekistan. They've been visiting U.S., and they met with the faculty and the administration of the University of uh, California Berkeley, and they're thinking about uh, making another partnership with that school. In general, we also, um, as I mentioned, have the governmental scholarship, and they are uh, signing a um, memorandum of understanding with uh, universities all around the world, and they have already uh, some partnership with U.S. schools as well. I'm not sure if I can name the universities, but uh, I have a list. But in general, so this this scholarship, they started the program like a couple of years ago, and recently they started to offer scholarships for bachelor's level too. So it's not only for graduate level, but for undergraduate level as well, and they will cover full cost of the tuition fees, the accommodation, etc., and it's very competitive for local students and they need to bring their admission letters to universities first and then they will go through the selection process of that particular foundation, that organization that provides the scholarship. And they've been sending more than 100 students to U.S. this year, so this academic year. And they are looking to send more. And it's not only, uh, as I mentioned, not only for graduate level, but for undergraduate level as well. And uh, regarding the English language programs, there are a lot of projects happening here. The one to mention is English speaking nation. The aim is to increase the teaching level of English at schools. Uh, USAID is here too to help with the curriculum development, with textbook development. And um, we, as the embassy, we are bringing more specialists, English language specialists here. And um, Uzbekistan is being the one of the uh, 
countries that have the most ETAs, Fulbright English Teaching Assistants here. And we are planning to bring more. Now, right now we have seven English language fellows and uh, 16 Fulbright English teaching assistants. And they are placed all over the countries at public schools and universities. And they're helping uh, to increase the level of English by bringing new methodology, by helping teachers. Uh, the government also uh, support the program for personal training. So the universities are looking for international expertise. So they want to bring more specialists here. And they also actually have the funds to have the online classes, programs, or to send some of the faculty members to different programs abroad. And they're looking, asking for some programs available for English language uh, specialists and for English for specific purposes is also very popular right now. So teachers of biology, let's say, they need to increase their level of English and they uh, can start teaching biology in English at schools. There are a lot of universities and not only state universities, but private schools as well. And um, we used to have only 70 universities in Uzbekistan. Now the number reached to 200 and uh, a lot of private schools as well. And there are, I want to also mention the presidential schools and the presidential university, which is called New Uzbekistan University. So um, they're bringing specialists from different countries and um, uh, the focus is on STEM. So the students and graduates of those presidential schools, they apply to universities abroad and to US as well. They uh, have a chance to get this governmental scholarship and their level of English is great. They're very motivated. They're very smart. And uh, universities in U.S. are happy to have them, I'm sure. Excellent. Can I just add, Noelle, that the, the landscape education in Uzbekistan has drastically changed for the better in the last five years. It was very closed. It was hard to get into schools. And we have opened up two new centers in Uzbekistan. One is, of course, we're in Tashkent with Jamila. And she's based at the U.S. Embassy. But we also have our advisor who is based in Karshi, as well as our newest center in Namagan, with the hope of opening up at least three to five more centers across the country. So our footprint is really growing in country, and we work very, very closely with our partners, um, American councils. So it has, as, as Jamila said, English language has grown, but there is just an overall interest and desire to learn more about studying in the U.S. And they're, they're really putting their money with making sure that students have the English language in order to do so. So there will be at least a two to three hour fair included as part of HEI's registration for the South and Central Asia Regional Forum that we're having in Tashkent. How would you recommend that our HEIs prepare for that in terms of what sorts of fields are the students looking for? Or what does what does the workforce look like? What What's the job market there? Are there things that HEI should be aware of going into a college fair that they're probably going to be asked by students and or their parents? 
Here in Uzbekistan, students are interested in computer science, in engineering, in business administration, international relations, and information and technology sphere is developing here too. We have like the huge IT park, as it's called, and uh, they provide different programs and students and potential students are really interested in uh, learning more about the sphere and they're applying to universities and want to get a degree in computer science. So the engineering part as well, they're interested in bioengineering and all the stuff related to that one. Medicine is also a popular sphere here, but we offer them to take courses on pre-med uh, so they can continue their studies and uh, do some research as well. And in general, the universities uh, also need to know that students here are also looking for the financial aid and scholarships. In general, I think this is for the region in general, because I know that students from Kazakhstan and other Central Asian countries, they are looking for options as well. Parents are thinking about like the safety of the school. Uh, they want to be sure that their kids are safe. And uh, we know that the United States uh, is far away from Uzbekistan, but still the U.S. is still the top destination for study here in Uzbekistan. And um, the only concern is the financial side of it. But still, there are a lot of parents and students who can afford to pay for their studies, at least for if they get some par partial scholarship from the university, then uh, they can have some funds, the family funds to cover the rest of the expenses and we also as i mentioned have the governmental scholarship as well and we can see from the open doors release that the number of Uzbek students studying right now in us for the last academic year it's increased so uh, and i hope that in the future next year we will see the number again increased uh, by i don't know what percentage but <laughs> The, uh, we can see, yes, we can see the increase there. Do you also have any sort of like insider tips on what might be on the horizon for burgeoning fields or changes or things maybe that were one way um, pre-pandemic when higher ed reps may have been traveling to the region that might have changed or shifted a little bit post-pandemic in terms of student parents' wants and needs, but also, as I said, burgeoning fields in the job market, et cetera, or new programs that maybe the country is opening up and they're going to need to staff? I think that... Um... In general, Uzbekistan is the agricultural country, so uh, there is a need in um, that area. We also have our own factory. We produce our own cars here, Chevrolet cars, so students are interested in learning more about that one. Aviation is also kind of a field that some students are interested. We have our new private air company here opening up. So, and there are a lot of things happening in business as well. I think that students are interested to learning more about the urban development, like uh, architecture as well, because there are a lot of stuff happening here, new buildings. We can see it every day, the new constructions here in Tashkent and in the country in general. The country here is one of the top countries producing and exporting cotton. So the factory, um, producing the factories and fabrics, and the textile production is very popular here. We have very big number of um, private companies producing the Uzbek textile. So this area is also very popular. We also, uh, Uzbekistan is one of the top countries producing gold. 
So jewelry, design, all of this stuff is very popular. Mm -hmm. Also thinking about the uh, cinema, like producing movies and like all the things related to that area is very popular. Show business, as we say it. <laughs> Thank you. Those are all really great insights. I had no idea Chevy was there. Yes. <laughs> and the movie industry, that's another one. I had no idea about the filmmaking. We also have students who are interested in fashion design. And we actually have um, an alumni of Education USA. She used to be an advisee of our center. She studied at University of San Francisco and she did her master's degree in fashion design. And now she's back to Uzbekistan and she made some talks about the center, about her experience. And she's really into this area. So this is one of the fields that people are interested in as well. Because as I said, we have like a culture and history of the costume of Uzbek style, etc., and fabrics and the ikat and all of these things are very popular right now. And uh, we have a lot of designers, modern designers using the ikat and fabrics and making some new modern style dresses and all the accessories. So it's becoming more popular among youth as well. With so many great students about to come our way for a regional forum, what is the best way for HEIs to start to prepare before they even get here? Now, I have some recommendations for HEIs as they prepare to come to Uzbekistan and learn more about South and Central Asia to take a look at Education USA resources that are available online. Um, the first one is our fact sheets. Uh, we have country fact sheets that take the open doors numbers and they look at where students are going, the history of the numbers, where they've gone in the last 10 years, what students are doing as it comes to undergrad, graduate, specialized programs, OPT. We break up all those statistics. So getting a snapshot of the country through the facts fact sheet can really help as you look at what are your recruitment goals and what's happening in that country. In addition, we produce the Education USA Global Guide that usually comes out in the summertime with our uh, form, our main form that happens. Um, and you can look to the Global Guide to kind of look at really what's happening across the region and what those trends will be. And then I encourage you to take a look at who's at your campus currently. Do you have students from the 13 countries that make up our region? How did they get to your campus? Do they have family and friends that are already interested in applying? And are they back at home maybe wanting to meet with you? I can guarantee you that if you have any students from Uzbekistan who have parents in town, I'm sure that they would love to come and meet you and uh, see, you know, what's happening on campus and, and, you know, tell you a little bit about their home and their life in Uzbekistan. There's so many other cultural events to do in Uzbekistan. And I think Jamila is kind of fun to talk about, like, what people can do outside of the form if they have a little extra time, either before or after, or maybe in the evenings. The metro lines um, run throughout the city. They were built by the Russians and each underground metro station is a piece of art. 
It is amazing just to take a look at the artwork and ride the Metro and get off and see how each, each station is different. That really is a sight to be seen. There's a museum with the smallest Quran in the world. Then there is also the traditional market where you can get food from all over, textiles, uh, trinkets. People will go and um, buy a lot of different types of special herbal teas that come from the countryside. There's honey, all kinds of mixed nuts and dried fruit and a very famous famous dish called shislik. Um, I'll have to re- maybe rely on Jamila to tell us a little bit more about that. But there's a lot of cultural things to do as well. Yeah, that's right. Tashkent uh, used to be the center of the culture, the history of Central Asia. <laughs> um, and I think it, Uzbekistan in general is in the middle of Central Asia. We are surrounded by all of the countries of Central Asia. And Tashkent is a big city. It's a cosmopolitan city. There is a metro here in Tashkent. If you go to Chorsu Market, it's called the Big Chorsu Market, you can then try also uh, Osh, which is pilaf. It's rice and meat and carrots and onions, and it's very delicious. And uh, we believe that it's the national traditional Uzbek cuisine. Cuisine in general is very... um, tasty here and uh, people love it but I just wanted to mention that there is a lot of meat in everything so if you are vegetarian uh, we have we will come in October we'll have a lot of fruits and vegetables for you Uh, but just remember that uh, Uzbek people they try to and love to eat meat and put it everywhere when they cook. Another thing is um, that we can share and see not only the traditional one, but you can also see the old buildings um, from uh, Russian <laughs> empire. So um, there are a lot of different old buildings, like the architect- architecture is very different. And we also in Tashkent, there was a, a big earthquake back in 1966. So um, all of the Soviet public republics they came here to rebuild the new Tashkent. So you can actually um, see the old part and the new part of the city. And it's uh, an interesting mixture. And uh, in general, I would say that Uzbek people are very hospitable. And in general, in Central Asia, I think um, people are very generous here. You can knock in the door in the old city if you walk around and then um, people will invite you for a cup of tea they will treat you with some sweets and bread and bread is very important here so you can try uzbek lipyoshka as we say nan uh, uzbek nan it's very delicious so there are a lot of things to do and if you go and want to uh, see um, other cities there is a fast train to Samarkand and you can have a one day trip to Samarkand because it takes two hours to go from Tashkent to Samarkand, spend the day there and come back on the same day. Or if you want to stay there, you can also uh, travel further to Bukhara and come back. So it's very convenient to see the country. And I'll just add, they also have ski slopes. Oh, wow. yes. And in Samarkand, there is a winery. So things happening. <laughs> I also heard about the wild horses in Fergana, once known as the heavenly horses. Is that right? In Fergana, there's also like, if you like 
bricks, a cut and stuff like this, you can get one. And we we used to have like the first Education USA Fair in 2019 when we brought 16 uh, colleges and universities to Uzbekistan and we actually took them to Fergana Valley and uh, we had a fair there, but as, as well, we had cultural events there. So we went to one of the factory, the old factory there, so they can see how the silk um, stuff is produced and they see they saw the process of it so and uh, also the uh, Fergana Valley is also more popular for ceramics so you can get uh, a lot of beautiful ceramics there as well thank you these are all great tips it's been a while since we've had had an event in south and central asia but in particular uh, you mentioned that having any sort of fair within Uzbekistan. The first one was only in 2019. So this is a big, big deal that we're bringing a regional forum to Tashkent to expand that footprint. Do we know how many of our Education USA SCA team will be there? We know that HEIs are always, and rightfully so, concerned about budget. We realize as well that it's not possible for one person to get everywhere they want to go in a particular world region, let alone just one country. So this is kind of a unique opportunity that if you can convince your leadership to give the okay to coming to the regional forum in Tashkent, we'll bring the rest of the region to you. Do we have any insights on approximate numbers and countries who will be there? Well, we have 13 countries in our region. And when we have a regional forum, we try to bring as many people as possible um, to the forum. And usually we do a pretty good job of bringing almost everybody. It does vary from year to year and region to region. But I expect we will do our best to bring our advisors, um, as many of them as we can, um, with the exception of Afghanistan, for obvious reasons, every country will be represented. And of course, we won't have an advisor from um, Afghanistan, but we will definitely provide information. One of my favorite parts of a regional form is our country fair, where our advisors set up a table and they have handouts, pictures, they have resources for our higher ed community. Sometimes we'll even have yummy little treats or food or our advisors will be dressed in their national dress. But really the whole point and the goal of the country fair is for you, the HEIs, to spend some time with our advisors and learn, learn more about their country and how you specifically can recruit and get to know us. Um, we know we have missed face-to-face -face for so long. And so coming to the region, we want this to be an opportunity for you to network so that when you go back home and you're sending you know, emails and you're engaging with students, you know who that Education USA advisor is and that you've built that relationship and that rapport. Um, we really are your eyes and ears on the ground. And we want to meet you. So come, come, come to the forum. 
and meet our advisors and uh, build a relationship with us so that we can help you diversify your campus. Absolutely. And that follow-on is so important. And I think that's the trickiest part sometimes with these events is you, you have to go right back into the next thing or right back into the office. And so you have all these big ideas knocking around in your head that don't always make it down to paper or into a full-blown project post-regional forum. Uh, Jamila, Karen, do you have any tips uh, to kind of help our higher ed reps on thinking about what comes next after the regional forum before they even set foot in Tashka? I think that uh, we can offer them to talk to our students online. So we can offer it to conduct a webinar for us. So we can arrange that. So you even before they come, they can start doing this. If they're interested, we're open for the uh, options. And then uh, they can reach out to me and we can arrange the webinars so they can talk about the programs available and the application process, all of the stuff that would be interested for our students. And if they have a student on the campus, it's always good uh, to invite them also to share the experience of studying new at that particular school. And that's how the number of applications at that particular school will increase uh, from particular country. And I would say, you know, this is all about building a relationship. And so, you know, keeping in touch with our advisors, obviously we'll have all our contact information in our program brochure. But, you know, when you get back home, continue to have the conversations that you started in Tashkent. We're always looking for ways to engage online, like Jamila said, and they might not be in the most obvious ways. We've seen a lot of universities move to offering master courses, um, offer, offering specialized courses to students, looking at how they can grow their skills. So beyond the, let me tell you how to apply, how do you write your personal statement? What is a small liberal arts education all about? Think about maybe something that you can give from your university, whether it's maybe a professor talking um, about a particular topic that is of interest to that particular country, or like for Uzbekistan, if you know that English language is key and that the country is focusing on this, maybe you offer some kind of specialized course through your English language program that other students can tap into. So um, it's looking at what you can offer from your university what the needs are, and then making that match and continuing to develop those relationships for the next years to come and come back. <laughs> Karen's inviting us back already. So Tashkent, no lie, it, it's a long way away from where we are in the United States, but certainly worth the trip and certainly worth recruiting the fabulous students there. Karen, Jamila, for departments whose leadership may be on the fence, what would you say is the greatest selling point to send a representative to the SCA Regional Forum? If you have to convince your leadership of coming and you want to have maybe that one nugget or, you know, selling point to your administration, I would say that across the board, we have strong and dedicated students who are interested in studying in the U.S. And I know that sounds quite broad, but if you look at the open doors numbers, we have key countries where the numbers are going up and the interest is there. And the students really do value a US education. 
And this is really, you know, we have the big sending countries like, you know, Pakistan and India and Bangladesh, but also we have these small countries where the sending number isn't as large, but the dedication and the quality of student is strong. And we really do see that with our cohort advising groups. I guarantee you, you meet our cohort advising groups and they're going to make your heart melt. You are going to want those students on your campus. Jamila and I went to Namagan. I was there last summer and I met our group and they, I mean, I get goosebumps just thinking about my communication with them. Language skills are strong. Interest there. I mean, they, they are so well-rounded and, um, we really want to make sure that these students are coming to the United States. So come to Central Asia, um, meet students from the top senders, as well as meet students from our small markets that maybe um, haven't been on your campus before. And I just want to also mention that um, South and Central Asia is led by two reacts, um, myself, and my colleague, Louis Cardenas, who is based in New Delhi. So I have the opportunity of working with him in leading just this great group of advisors across 13 countries. You mean I get Jamila, Karen, and Louis all in one trip? What more can anyone want here? Thanks, Noel. <laughs> we can't wait to have you all there. Come to the Education USA Forum in South and Central Asia. We can't wait to see you. We want to introduce you to our advisors, our students. I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. Where else do you need to be? Come to Tashkent. Uzbekistan is waiting for you. The views and opinions of the EDGE podcast do not necessarily represent those of Education USA, U.S. Department of State, or the U.S. government.